You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, fresh off of a week of lots of Magic Arena, is Ethan Sachs. What's been up in the world of Magic this week, Ethan? Well, as we'll get to in just a little bit, I did achieve my grind to uh, top 100 Mythic this week. Actually got there in, in just the first three days of the week and then and then took a dip into best of three because you were like, oh, maybe we should talk about, you know, playing some non-aggressive decks. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know how to do that yet. So <laughs> I'll have to start playing some best of three. So I, I, I've been enjoying it. I actually had some of the most fun yesterday. I finally got to uh, meme with Sanctum of All, which I'll be chasing that dragon for the rest of the format for sure. I also drafted a double Epitaph Golem deck and I actually had a matchup where it was relevant. I played like the Epitaph Golem Mirror. <laughs> it was amazing. So I had a I had a lot of fun with uh, M21 this week. How about you? That sounds sweet. Were both of those decks in best of three, I assume? Yes, both of those were in best of three for sure. Yeah, my experience in best of one when I've been making videos for YouTube has been that it is fast with a capital F. Yeah absolutely you've uh you've been memeing with sanctum of all as well isn't that right i have i did that very early on in the format yeah sanctums are busted when they come together absolutely so we've got quite a bit to pack into the next hour of this show um we're gonna be trying to flip the script a little bit right last week we talked about how to curve out and be down in this format and this week's title of the episode is aggro is so last week and that is definitely the case we're gonna be trying to talk about how to combat those decks what tools are in the format to win against aggro but before we get into that gotta talk about the patreon ben patreon.com slash lords of limited where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose everyone who gives back to the show via the patreon gets access to the lords of limited discord we say each and every week it is the best resource on the internet for all things limited 24 seven limited tech support we've got our lords of limited fnms but you can also post things in all of our various channels to get feedback on your decks on your drafts on your decisions in game etc it's really just a fantastic place to be uh, and each and every week we want to shout out our new patrons that join and this week we're welcoming to the fold ziffer mtg ian skyler michael d stavros rowan tom joe simon Adrian, Roscoe, Joshua, Victor, Wilson, Matthew, Shade, and Michael B. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And I, I will firmly maintain that the Discord is my my favorite place to go when I've got five minutes and I need that little quick magic fix, but I don't have quite <laughs> enough time to do to do a whole draft. Or when you're you know jamming Hearthstone Battlegrounds on one monitor <laughs> and then want to just keep up with magic on the other Shh, monitor. Don't tell the people. <laughs> Just outing me. (laughs) All right, Ben, you got a pretty sweet draft log for us to take a look at here, right? Yeah, this is a good one. You ready to take a seat? I am, yes. All right, pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. At common, there's a rousing reed that stands out. Two in a blue, enchantment aura, enchant creature. When ETBs, you draw two, then discard a card. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and flying. Can I ask you... Are you on the Christian Calcano rousing read is the best blue common train? I did not know that was a train. I don't <laughs> think I I don't think I am. I think I'm still on Roman Ghostlight number one. There's enough. I think blue wants to be controlling enough. And despite rousing read having a lot of synergy with the blue controlling decks, it still does feel awkward to spend three mana to not really help you play better defense. I've found. 
I, I agree with that assessment. I do think there are spots like when rousing read is better than ghost light. It's way better than ghost light and it does very different things. But I agree with you. I still think I'm on ghost light number one. And that moves us on to our uncommons. There's a soul seer to red for the instant deal five to a creature at planeswalker that permanent loses indestructible until end of turn and conclave mentor baby green white two two if one or more plus one plus one counters will be put on a creature you control you put an extra plus one plus one counter on that instead and when it dies you gain life equal to its power and your rare Baron Tolarian Archmage, one blue blue for two two. When it ETBs, return up to one target creature or planeswalker to its owner's hand. At the beginning of your end step, if you return a thing you control, you get a draw card. Yeah, this is actually a pretty good pack. I think the uh, the rare is quite good. Conclave Mentor and Soul Seer are all strong first picks, I would say. It's really close for me between Soul Seer and Conclave Mentor. Green White. I do believe has shaken out to be the best deck in the format, and Conclave Mentor really makes that deck the most explosive it can be. And Soulseer is in the best color, I think, though. Where are we at? Is red still better than white? I don't think so. And I don't know. I I, I personally like white better because I think white's better at being aggressive more consistently Mm -hmm. than red is. Maybe that's not even true. But I, I found red's a lot more contested than white. Yeah, and white leads you into the two best decks right red white and red green exactly white white green and white red rather yeah exactly i think it's super close i I am pretty obsessed with green white so i think i would take conclave mentor but i would not begrudge anyone taking souls here i agree completely i think like souls is probably the quote-unquote professional pick you know Mm -hmm. but i I had just been on a tear of stomping people with green white and i wanted to continue that tear so I, i took conclave mentor here i think i think souls here is probably the most responsible pick but I think there's a very real case to be made for Conclave Mentor, and I wanted to I wanted to try to go deep. And for folks out there who are, you know, of the school of thought of it's really restrictive to take a gold card, pack one, pick one, what do you say to them as you snap up this Conclave Mentor? I say if I hit, and this is like a Hearthstone Battlegrounds mentality, that whole game is like a, <laughs> it's like a, a strategy slot machine, right? You're I'm outing you, yourself up. I'm outing you for the Battleground stuff. You don't need, <laughs> you don't need any help with that. You try to set yourself up like strategically to get lucky. And if if green white is open, Conclave Mentor is going the ceiling on Conclave Mentor is so much higher than Soul Seer, right? Soul Seer is pretty interchangeable with Scorching Dragonfire, and Scorching Dragonfire is a great card. And I, I think I would take Conclave Mentor over Scorching Dragonfire. And I think those Soul Seer and Dragonfire are interchangeable enough that that's sort of where my head's at. That I think the ceiling's high enough on Conclave Mentor that I'm not going to miss the Dragonfire or the Soul Seer if I get pushed off of Green White. Yeah, I agree. All right, moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. There's no real commons that stand out there. You know, at the beginning of the format, I think we would have said Finishing Blow would stand out, but that is no longer the case to me. Uh, I think that card is 100% filler. So four and a black instant destroy target creature or planeswalker. So that takes us to the uncommons. There's a Tide Skimmer. I've been very impressed with that. Three and a blue for a 2-3 flyer. When you attack with two or more creatures with flying, draw a card. Interesting. I have not been impressed by that card. Yeah, it's 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 good if you go two-drop flyer, three-drop flyer into Tide Skimmer. You're under a lot of pressure. Ideally, the home for this card is in blue-white, right? Yeah, I think that's the only place you're really excited about it. You want Basri's Acolyte over this, right? Probably, yeah. You maybe don't want Gale Swooper because everything else flies. Yeah, I think I'd take this over Gale Swooper in that deck. Oh, it's close. Depends on how aggro and how many of the three ones you have that you want to jump. It's a charger. If you have Watchers, like I would rather curve Watcher into three mana, three, two flyer. Yeah. So I just feel like it's it's my problem with Tide Skimmer is that it is a card that like incentivizes you to be the beatdown even when the game dictates you should not be. And it's competing with better cards in the four drop slot yeah i I think you make a compelling argument wow that's that's the closest i'll ever hear ben say i think you're right (laughs) that's the closest i'll ever hear i'll take it folks all right next up is leafkin avenger the green red gold uncommon this is two green red for a four three and taps to add green for each creature you control with power four or greater and you pay seven red to have it deal damage equal to its power to target player or planeswalker and your last uncommon is Enthralling Hold, 3 blue blue enchant creature. You can't choose an untapped creature as the spell's target. As you cast it, you control enchanted creature. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's not super close. Like the best card in this pack, I guess the two best cards in the pack are Enthralling Hold and Leafkin Avenger. And the most flexible card for you, like you don't have a good follow-up to Conclave Mentor. There are no good green or white cards worth taking this early over the power level of these uncommons. So I think you just take the card that's going to leave you the most open, which is Enthralling Hold. It's interesting, if you're taking Soul Seer, does that tempt you more to Avenger? I don't think so. If I started Soul Seer, I think I would still be on Enthralling Hold here. Yeah, I think so too. All right, so snapped up Enthralling Hold. We've got a Conclave Mentor and Enthralling Hold in our pile right now. Moving on to pack one, pick three. 
see the following cards as options. There's an opt, single blue instant, scry one draw card. Grasp of Darkness, black, black, instant. Target creature gets minus four, minus four until end of turn. Drowsing Tranodon, one and a green for the three, three with Defender. And as long as you control a creature with power four or greater, it can attack as though it didn't have Defender. In red, best card is probably Ashandra's Magmut, one and a red for a two, two, and taps to deal a damage to target player or Planeswalker. And that's really about it. Kitesail, Freebooter, and Falconer Adept chilling in the uncommon slot. So there's a rare and an uncommon missing, but I think the commons are better than those two uncommons so <laughs> so interesting talking about grasp of darkness in this format this 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 is the most perplexing card to me and i think we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later when we try and unpack what's going on with black in this format and in, in non-aggressive decks because grasp of darkness is very very powerful but this format just isn't really about like picking off large threats you know like grasp of darkness is very often just trading even on mana, like you're just picking off a two drop or a three drop or whatever with it. So it doesn't feel like the incredible rate that it looks like on face value. I agree. It's average case is killing Alpine Watchdog. Right. And it's not it's not a really exciting thing from your like premium black removal spell. So I, I think, you know, I am pretty averse to black in this format, as we'll talk about in just a little bit. I My win rate with it is abysmal in comparison to the rest of the colors that I've drafted in best of one, um, which is where I've been primarily playing. So I think I would be on Drowsing Pteranodon as the best card in this pack. This card, I'm, it just does it all. I'm really obsessed with it. It plays defense well. It's an incredibly good attacker that has a ton of ways to enable it as a four power attacker. Um, so I think I would take that there. It leaves you outs to still play your mentor, or you can pair it with Enthralling Hold and go green-blue. I think uh, I think it does it all here. Yeah, I agree. I landed on Drowsing Pteranodon as well. It matches up super well with mentor. And I think if you had taken Soulseer, pack one, pick one, I still think you're on Drowsing Pteranodon here. I don't think... I think the gap between Drowsing Tranodon and Chandra's Magma is large enough that you're still supposed to take Drowsing Tranodon here. How do you feel about that? That feels a little hot to me. I, I don't know if I would have the courage of my convictions to make that pick, but I could definitely see it being correct. I, th I think if I had Soul Seer, that would tip me to taking Magma. Okay. Moving on to pack one, pick four with a Mentor and Enthralling Hole and a Drowsing Tranodon in our pile. We see the following cards as options. There's a Scorching Dragon Fire and not a whole lot else in the pack. Next best card is probably an Anointed Core single white for the one one lifelink and you can pay four and a white to give it plus three plus three until end of turn i wouldn't be mad taking chorister i think chorister is a great card and having chorister mentor and pteranodon as three cards for my green white aggro deck in four picks i'd be happy with but Dragonfire is just too much better to ignore here. Yep. Snapped up Scorching Dragonfire. So moving on to pack one, pick five. Again, we've got Mentor, Hold, Tranodon, and Dragonfire in our pile. See the following cards as options. Best blue card, probably a Teferi's Protege at common. Two and a blue for the two, three. You can pay one and a blue tap to draw a card, discard a card. Then moving on to the uncommons is a pretty weak pack. There's a Tavern Swindler, one and a black for a two, two. You can pay three life to flip a coin. If you win, you gain six. And the Spice card in the pack and i think just the most rawly powerful card sanctum of calm waters three and a blue for the shrine at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase you may draw x cards where x is the number of shrines you control if you do discard a card dump it chuck the other four picks in the garbage we've got our path here ben <laughs> sanctum of calm waters let's go yeah card is very good i think this is we're going to talk about the sanctums a little bit later in the episode but this is far and away the best sanctum in my opinion, and it, it makes all the other ones tick. Yeah, it's it's tough to reconcile with us talking about how aggressive the format is to say like, hey, you can take turn four off to play a do nothing enchantment that's not going to net you card advantage even next turn. But th there is a lot of potential, a lot of explosive potential that this card has in later turns in the game. Yeah, and I think what I would say to people that are challenging that is that you you don't always get to draft aggro and it's, it's difficult to draft decks that beat aggro and Sanctum of Calm Waters is one of the most powerful things you can do as not an aggro deck. So you just have to build your deck accordingly to try to stop the onslaught of aggro and buy yourself some time to let sanctum win you the game if only there were a podcast episode that was going to talk about how to draft <laughs> those decks ben <laughs> i know right so draft went pretty interestingly from there so pack one pick six i picked up a gale swooper out of a pretty weak pack got a falconer adept pack one pick seven that's the two three uncommon that makes a one one bird with flying when it attacks so you're still trying to hang on to like white green aggro at this point it looks like yes yeah, still trying to feel it out Pack one, pick eight, get a Daybreak Charger, wheel the Rousing Reed from my first pack, which is pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. So I think that was one of the better cards in the pack. Um, so yeah, I ended up with some white, ended up with some blue, and then 
pack two, pick one, got a black sanctum. And then pack two, pick two, got sublime epiphany, which pretty much put me on I'm drafting some sort of a control deck. And alongside that sublime epiphany is dun, 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 the red sanctum. And I tried to wheel that and did and ended up going pretty deep on a base base blue green deck that had a sweet sanctum package. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. As we were talking about in the, the pre-show, it feels like the sanctum deck, now that I've ha- had the chance to play with it in best of three, the sanctum deck feels like a backdoor for your draft. And as I, how did you phrase it? It, I think I, it's a really powerful thing that you can do when your draft is going poorly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it's also really sweet. It's like it is a very fun thing to do in the format in a format where I think there's not a lot of sweet build aroundy stuff to do. Yeah, I think that's true for sure. All right. So before we dive into aggro so last week, I did want to just briefly summarize my experience in best of one for our listeners who are perhaps trying to do that that mythic grind or the ladder grind or whatever in uh, in best of one on arena so uh i reset to plat four and it took me 21 drafts from that reset to get to top 100 mythic and so some stats about that 92 and 55 for a 63 percent win rate which is pretty fine for best of one that's good in best of one i think yeah i was red white five times with a 65 percent win rate i was green white six times with a 70% win rate with that deck. I was black a total of five times with a 37% win rate. And I've done it all, folks. I've done aggro with (laughs) Malefic Scythe and Liliana's Devotee. I've done control with Pestilent Haze and Masker Worm. And I just like can't find success with black and best of one. In my 41 total best of one drafts in this format, I have a 43% win rate with black and my next lowest win rate is with green at 61%. So black is really dragging down my win rate. So after having this frustration and realizing how low my win rate was with black, my own personal experience led me to 100% avoid black in best of one, not 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 with any exceptions like open masker worm i'm not drafting it open you you know d- what's the demonic embrace i'm not drafting it i just can't seem to get a handle on it and once i embraced that decision no pun intended i was much happier for it and so just some some other pointers about things that i've found success with with the exception of some versions of blue red you should be drafting aggro all the time this means low curve draft cheap creatures above almost anything. I mean, basically just everything Ben outlined in our show last week. You want cheap interaction. You want combat tricks, though I want to say, and this is I've run into this a few times, you want to have your eye on your creature count the entire draft. There may be a time in pack three where you just need to take Alpine Watchdog over your second or third feat of resistance to up your creature count because you really want to get to at least 15 creatures in these decks. You want to be picky about your four drops. As we said last week, they should be the ones that can push damage like Gale Swooper, Basri's Acolyte, Hunter's Edge. Cards like Tide Skimmer or Dilophyser just don't get the job done. Your curve should stop at 4 CMC almost always in these decks. As a result, Drowsing Pteranodon is greater than Llanowar Visionary in Best of One. And I I thought this was going to be a hot take until I was listening to Limited Resources this week. And (laughs) they just seemed to be on Drowsing Pteranodon over Visionary just period. They scooped you. They scooped me. I was like, I'm glad I listened to it before (laughs) before talking about it here and people just being like, yeah, that's so old news. Um, (laughs) But I I do really believe that just because like your green decks don't want three mana two twos and you're not ramping into anything. So Drowsing Pteranodon is just much better than Visionary almost always. And I think biasing yourself towards Naya is super correct, though blue white skies, blue red spells and blue green ramp draw two are all successful decks. And I just don't touch black. Okay, so can I, I just want to get inside your brain a little bit. Let's here. Let do me, it, let me, buddy. Let me fire some questions at you. So talk to me about what it's like in Diamond in Best of One, because I imagine I'm not quite to Diamond yet because I've only been playing Best of One when I've been recording YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. So I'm like top of Platinum-ish. How much of Aggro Mirrors is it in Diamond? It's a lot. They're like... I did a, I think I, I streamed a lot on Wednesday when I made my final push, nine hours, and I did nine drafts that day. So like, they're just going very fast. And so my experience has been when I stumble, I lose. Has that has that been true for you? Yes. Uh, so I, I think I've been a lot more cautious about mulliganing pretty aggressively, I'd say, or at least I'm less inclined, you know, the, the, the hands I feel like that I lose the most with are the hands where it's like, 
forest forest one green card four white cards right and i'm like well or maybe that's not the best example like because if it's drowsing pteranodon is your one green card you probably just mulligan because you have you need to hit a way to augment it too so you know let's say it's it's uh you know you planes planes white card four green cards and you're like well i can cast my alpine watchdog but then if i don't hit my source of green mana I'm going to lose the game because I don't get to do anything else. So those are the sorts of hands you need to think about mulliganing more so that you get that mixture of of land. So yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, it feels sometimes you get really cool games, but oftentimes like by turn four, you know, who's going to win. Right. That the old my experience has been that the old Ben Werney trust your deck mentality when when considering keeper mulls does does not apply. <laughs> yes. Yes, I would agree <laughs> like, with that. You have to mulligan pretty aggressively to a hand that you are confident is going to do things. And I will say, and we talked again, we talked about this a little bit before the show. I think a lot of what the format comes down to in the aggro mirrors is like pegging someone for a combat trick and being able to use that information against them. And I am using the arena like tell when the person has a pause pretty hard. There have been a lot of times where my opponent pauses and they've got one black man up and I'm like, well, it could be village rights, but this is almost certainly alchemist's gift. And so I'm just going to wait. I'm going to be patient and like use my feet of resistance perfectly so I can blow them out when they're trying to blow me out with alchemist's gift. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Are there any cards that you think go up in value a lot in best of one? Like I would think Bosri's Acolyte is probably the best common in best of one just because it's got lifelink lifelink seems so huge yeah i think acolyte is probably the best common and best of one over scorching Dragonfire, though it does have that like four drop tax problem um but it is the best four drop for your deck so i think that's that's the thing to do i'm not sure if there are any cards that i think go super up in value i will say also before talking to you about you know not putting tap lands in your deck last week i think i might have been more inclined to do so but so often I have found myself going like one drop, two drop, three drop, four drop, and just thinking to myself, man, how bad would this hand have been? Or how much worse or how much less explosive would this hand have been if one of these was a Windscarred Crag? So I, I would really caution against putting those in your deck if you've got, like if you're playing Anointed Chorister, Short Sword, and Shock, don't put tap lands in your deck. And are you are you 15 land, 16 land? What's been your norm? Yes, yeah, 16 is my norm. 15 sometimes if my curve is like super low. 16 is usually my norm just because like, you know, in in the best decks and like the mentor houndmaster decks and red, white, and green white, those two drops you just like really want on two. So usually an eight eight split is where I end up. All right, very cool. Yeah. So just a, just a little dip in the best of one pool here for for folks interested. Well, actually, I have one more question oh. for you. Now now that you've gotten out of best of one, the format is sweeter in best of three, right? Much sweeter. Yeah, I told you I did like Sanctum of All and Epitaph Golem nonsense yesterday. I I, I just like wouldn't touch any of those cards. I don't touch the Sanctums in best of one. I, I really like don't even try and do Teferi's tutelage stuff in best of one, honestly, just because I don't think that's where you want to be. Some decks are just going to steamroll you. So I think it, I think best of one is sort of giving this format a bad rap, you know, similarly to how we used to complain about the bots giving, you know, yeah. Eldraine a bad rap or something like I feel like best of one is narrow enough that it is not the same thing as playing best of three in this format right it's it feels quite different to me in a way that like playing best of one or best of three in a choria did not feel much different like sure i think you can do the similar like you, you know it favors aggro bias yourself towards mardu whatever but this is such an extreme version of that where i'm like literally ignoring an entire color um, and I'm sure folks are going to say, you know, I've, I've, I reached out to a lot of folks about their success with black and people in best of one are having success with black. It's not, this is a unique experience to me. And this is the conclusion I've come to. And so for I'm just throwing that out there to folks who perhaps are also struggling with black, just to say like, it's okay to ignore <laughs> that. If you want to try and get to mythic, you can do it. <laughs> there you go. All right. So that's going to shift us away from best of one and aggro to what to do when you're not aggro, because you just can't draft in and draft out be aggro every time. Yeah, for sure. So I think we're going to kick things off with a color pair power rankings here with the caveat that I, I'm not super confident about the order of the black color pairs because I have played black so little. This is my best guess at it. And I have played all of the decks, but I could certainly see stuff shifting as we get a chance to play more with those color pairs. But the problem is you just don't get to play with those color pairs a lot because you're not supposed to try to do it, you know? Yeah, I do think like, I think if you're going to be in black, you want to be perhaps the only or or one of two 
black drafters at the table. It's hard for me to imagine black supporting definitely more than two and, and maybe even more than one. Yeah, I think that's a, a good place to think about it. So number one, we've got blue green. And I think largely for me, mostly because blue green also just has random beatdown draws, right? Blue green plays to the late game and also can just curve out drowsing Tranodon into rousing read into a four drop into, you know, you're under tons of pressure but also has the tools, you know, with Land of War Visionary and things like that to play a super controlling game and ramp into, you know, busted five and six drops that the aggro deck just can't compete against. Agree. For, for similar reasons, and I, I think Ben and I are going to disagree here, I have red-green next on this list. Now, obviously, I think red-green's best game plan is to be an aggressive deck, but I do think the tools are there to draft a more controlling deck, namely because of Red's great removal in Shock and Scorching Dragonfire. Red also gives you card selection in Thrill of Possibility and Kinetic Augur. Um, and then you get the ramp from green. And also you get sort of the quote-unquote finisher at common in green in Colossal Dreadmaw. So you don't necessarily need the, the rares of the top end or whatever. Though I guess I would hazard to, to say as a counterpoint, like, well, then why are you drafting the controlling version of this deck if you don't have the like powerful uncommons or rares at your top end? Yeah, I think so. I think I agree with what you said. I think plan A for me is very much to be beat down, like low curve beat down with red green. But I think it, it hinges on shocks and dragon fires, right? If you want to do the other thing. Mm hmm. And I guess the the thing I would say to that is I think it's it's probably just worse than like blue green and green black at doing that. How do you how do you feel about that? That the controlling version of red green is is less good than the controlling versions of blue green and green black. I think I can agree with that. The thing that is probably biasing my opinion here is I've had two red green control decks with Ugin as like the thing Ooh, to ramp into. That sounds sweet. And red gives you that like, I'm going to churn through my library to find Ugin with the cards that I described. So that like small sample size experience with a very powerful card worth drafting a control deck around, I think maybe biasing my thoughts about this deck. So I, I could definitely see blue green or green black being better than it in a vacuum. Yeah, that's cool. I have not gotten to play with Ugin yet. I have just conceded to Ugin several times. <laughs> it feels good though that like you just you see a card and you're like, I don't need to play the rest of this game out with that on the stack i shall concede <laughs> yeah and number three as the best of the black decks we've got blue black in the number four slot green black number five red black and bringing up the rear white black yeah white black just like the nuts life gain deck comes together to be a very powerful deck it just comes together so very rarely yeah and it's it's tough to call it i'm not even sure I, you call it a controlling deck because it does want to attack Right, that's it's so this, the tension there, the the tension of a lot of black's cards because black is not an aggressive color, but a lot of black's cards care about stuff happening on your turn, like gaining three life on your turn, stuff dying on your turn. That often is incentivizing you to attack, which is sort of against the idea of being a defensive deck. Right. Yeah. So, and I think for whatever it's worth, I, I don't think those those power rankings are worth that much, but I do think it's interesting way to kick off framing our discussions here. So next, we're going to dive into cards that push you to not draft aggro. So sort of framing this as, you know, pack one, pick one, we're taking these cards over something like Bosri's Acolyte and trying to draft a deck that's going to beat aggressive decks rather than, you know, taking the Bosri's Acolyte and try to draft the aggressive deck. Right. So number one on here, I think is very, very close. And I'm probably currently on Acolyte over this. This is Land of War Visionary. Where are you at here? Yeah, I think I'm on Acolyte also, but I think it's like a toss up, right? I think mm -hmm. if you want to take Land of War Visionary and do the other thing, you can. I think they're I think they're equally powerful in their styles of decks, but I think aggro is probably a better deck. So you you probably take the Bosri's Acolyte, but I think they're really, really, really close. And as quickly as pack one, pick two... I think you could take Land or Visionary over Acolyte. Oh, for sure. 100%. So next up is Swift Response. And this is this is not a reason to draft control necessarily. But when I get a late Swift Response, you know, if you're wheeling a Swift Response, that's starting to make me think about, okay, could I splash this card in a controlling deck? Or, you know, do I have a blue-white Flyers deck where Swift Response is going to be good? But that, that card is powerful. It just doesn't have a great home. So when I see that card really late, that, that gets my gears turning. Yeah. In one of our Lords Limited Showdown videos uh, that we do every month, I drafted a blue-white control deck where Swift Response was quite good. Um, but those decks just come together 
so rarely. Like white's so built basically outside of Swift response to be an aggressive color that I think you have to do quite a bit of work in the draft to get white to support Swift responses. Yeah. And then last on this list is the good cheap removal, Shock, Scorching Dragonfire, and Grasp of Darkness. And I would say what we talked about earlier, Grasp of Darkness doesn't start to interest me until it's like pack one, pick five. That's exactly what I was going to say. Something like that. Like I, I have zero interest in picking a grasp of darkness early in the draft or if you've already started with like one of the more powerful cards like liliana's devotee or whatever sure 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 yeah but as far as like getting into black grasp doesn't start to pull me into black until pack one pick five ish moving on to the uncommons we've got enthralling hold up first that's the control magic effect that can only target a tapped creature in a more defensive deck that's when this is going to be at its best when this card is at its worst is when like all it, it sort of has the same swift response problem like when all you want to do is get a blocker out of the way and you can't because this can only target a tapped creature that's when this card's floor is an f but otherwise when you're in a controlling deck when you're in a deck that's going to be like taking some blows from aggro this can really do some good work right i think enthralling hold has been best for me when i get on board early and you're you're not dying to the aggro deck right and then you can cast it and stay and oftentimes it wins the game if you can pull that off right like if you're not dying the turn you take their tapped creature on the next turn you're in pretty good shape yeah you can't your deck can't be teferi's tutelage into blue sanctum into enthralling hold because you're just gonna die right you have to do you have to do wall of runes into play some other blocker that can trade Mm -hmm. and then if you can if you can trade trade and then take a thing you're in great shape Absolutely. Next up is Teferi's Tutelage. I think this is probably the single best reason to draft a non, you know, beatdown deck or to try to, it's not even draft a control deck so much in my mind as it is try to draft a deck that doesn't die to the aggressive decks quickly. <laughs> right. But it's but it's a deck that's going to be valuing things like, oh, can I get three frantic inventories? Can I get a reign of revelation? This deck maybe then wants you to have the three mana looter. Like you're playing cards that are going to support the tutelage and that's going to support a non-aggressive game plan. Right, for sure. Uh, we talked about this a little bit, but I do think Sanctums are a pull into this kind of deck in exactly like the roundtable that we looked at earlier in the episode. Those drafts that like aren't going well, you don't have quite a clear direction. Let's say you saw a Sanctum in your first pack and then you're seeing a different one pick six. I think there's a real thought to say like, hey, my deck's not going in a direction and these are going to give me a direction. Right. Yes, I agree. And I think blue is the best. I think red is the second best. You really need the card draw from the blue to make the red one a potent threat. Mm-hmm. And and past that, I think the other three, the white, the green, and the black, you're all just playing to make your blue and your red sanctums better. The blue, the blue and the red ones are the busted ones. I would have thought that the green one was the most important to the strategy, but it just is so inefficient and it doesn't really do anything past like the first two turns that's in play i agree it does one thing it, it does do when you're go- one, one thing it does do when you're going off is it lets you double or triple spell but if you're going off you're already winning with the blue and the red one you don't right. need you don't need the mana from the green one mm-hmm. that's been my experience anyway uh so that takes us on to some honorable mentions here in the uncommon category twin blade assassins and obsessive stitcher the blue black and the green black gold uncommons respectively these don't quite make me want to not draft aggressive decks but you know if you're seeing the blade like certainly if you're seeing you know a pack one pick six twin blade assassins by all means hop on it and try to draft black green and then moving on to the rares surprisingly they're just aren't a lot i had someone in uh in twitch chat the other day asking me they're like what's like been your most exciting build around rare of the format i'm like are there any what are the rares that i'm excited about but there are a few here that do pull me into not wanting to draft aggro first up here is sublime epiphany that's the the five modal spell in blue this card is just very very busted oftentimes wins the game when it resolves so I think is a real reason to draft a non-aggro deck. Yeah, I just think the number, the sheer number of ways there are to rebuy it at Uncommon as well. Right. And then Jorail is up next. This is the one in green, one, two. And whenever you draw your second card, each turn you make a 2-2 cat token and you can pay 4 GG to make all your creatures XXs until end of turn where X is the number of cards in your hand. This card is absurd and it's it's really good against aggro, right? You're getting free 2-2s that trade with their 2-2s that are worth a card for them and are not for you. Yeah, I love Jorail. Really, really Really cool build around, I think. Uh, next up is Veto Thorn of the Dusk Rose. This is the two and a black one three. Whenever you gain life, your opponent loses that much life, and you can pay three black black to give all your creatures lifelink until end of turn. 
I have not had the privilege to play with this, but I have had the uh, unfortunate position of playing against this multiple times, and this just often wins the game. You know, when your opponent has ten power in play or whatever. So this a veto kind of pushes you to be aggressive, though, right? Because you want to attack with the ability. That just sort of occurred to me. Veto is more a reason to draft black, right? Than it is to draft not aggro. Is that fair? Yeah, I guess that's fair. But I also I feel like I'm, I'm maybe I'm conflating the two or combining the two. But black and non aggro feel like similar phrases to me in this format but I, I hear what you're saying right and then last on the list at rare pursued whale this is the five blue blue for the eight eight spells that target it cost three more to cast and when etbs you have your turn a one one token that forces them to attack with all their creatures each turn and is that it that's it that's it boom that was from memory <laughs> that's was pretty dang good yeah i'm personally taking this over bosri's acolyte pack one pick one i'm not sure if you are I think I'm taking Acolyte over Pursued Whale pack one, pick one, but I think it's close and I think it's defensible for sure. I mean, it's just it's just going to rely on you getting Land of War Visionaries, I think. So in my mind, it's it's a blue green gold card. And that's the thing about why Land of War Visionary, I think, is on this list at common is that basically once you have one of these other kinds of cards, one of these other top end control cards or even something like Joel Real as a two drop, all of a sudden Land of War Visionary, I think, is like the number one card that you want. Right. It's the best like it's, it's the best common as soon as you know you don't want to draft aggro like not and not close. <laughs> Which is, I think, why more and more I think about it, the more and more I think Pteranodon is the number one green common, because more often than not, you should be biasing towards aggro. Except I would say Visionary is still a good card in green-white. Like, that that would be my pushback against that. It's still a 2-2 that replaces itself and is backbreaking if your opponent's playing 2-2s that don't replace themselves, right? Is it crazy to think that, like, Makeshift Battalion is just better in green-white than Visionary? That sounds, yes. That sounds crazy to me. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Three power is greater than two power. It is, but I think... And counter synergies? Drawing a card is so much better than not drawing a card. You're telling me even if your curve stops at four? I'm, t- I'm playing Visionary over Battalion 10 out of 10 times if my curve stops at four. I don't know. I'm, I'm here for, for my own hot take, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so what are, what are some notable omissions? Some cards that people are going to go, um, excuse me, why didn't you put those on this list? Yeah, we also want to shout out Ugin at Mythic Rare. Oh, right. Yes, for sure. The, the best reason to draft non aggressive decks but yeah some notable missions here massacre worm i've just been pretty down on this card i've played with it on arena i've played with it on mtgo and i found that oftentimes it's a hard to cast six mana six five your opponents just get their stuff out of range of two toughness by the time you hit six mana like the green white deck already has their two twos as four fours and five fives at that point in the game like yes sometimes it's insane but i i don't think it's quite as busted as advertised yeah and i do think i would take acolyte over at pack one pick one Oh, yeah, I I think I would as well at this point. I think the other thing that came up with me in my sort of investigation for what I'm maybe missing about black in this format is that, you know, like we talked about, despite Grasp of Darkness being black, black, I think most people are assuming black is a support color and not a main color. And there's tension not only with Grasp of Darkness in that, but especially tension with Masker Worm there. Right, for sure. I think one of the things that came up while we're we're on this discussion of where black fits into the format, when I was making this list, there's not a lot of black cards that incentivize you to not draft ag right but in my mind black was a controlling color and that's not even the case it's just sort of in this nebulous range of has some really powerful cards but not a clear direction and i think that's why it suffers so much in this format right because all the best decks have a very clear thing that they're trying to do and black just is sort of in the middle of that spectrum and the weird thing about black is that it's two best uncommons in devotee and scythe are cards that I think are better in aggressive shells, which again is against what black generally can support. Right. So next up on our notable emissions list is Waker of the Waves, the seven mana, seven, seven at uncommon. You can pay one in a blue to sort of have a little card selection with it to discard it, but it gives all of your opponent's creatures minus one, minus oh. This is just a little too expensive. I think once you like know you're going to be green, blue ramp, then Waker Waves is fine. But more often than not, like, you know, if you think about it, taking it in a blue-red deck or whatever, like, you're just discarding it nine out of ten times. Right, and it's good in the blue-black reanimator deck, but I just don't think you're supposed to start down that route. Yes. Next on the list is Mangara the Diplomat. Three and a white for a two-four lifelink. Whenever an opponent attacks with creatures, if two or more of those creatures are attacking you and or planeswalkers you control, draw a card. And whenever an opponent casts their second spell each turn, draw a card. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, again, sort of with the swift response problem, this is not what white decks are trying to do. Right. You just want to take you want to take Bossery's Acolyte over this pack one pick one. Now, later on, if you know you're in a controlling route, you're going to slam Mangara over Bossery's Acolyte, right? right? And similarly, next on the list, Face Fetters, the exact same deal. Mm-hmm. Like Face 
Fetters is going to be great in your aggro deck as well. Obviously, it doesn't push you one way or the other. It's just a great card, but it's easy to pick this, see the gain for, and think, oh, this is going to be awesome to help me stop aggro. You should just play it. It's a good card. And last on this list is Sporeweb Weaver. This is the two and a green, one, four with reach and hexproof from Bloom. Whenever it's self damage, you make a one, one Sapperling and gain a life. This is, again, a really perfect card against aggro. I think it's really, really good in a controlling green deck or like a ramping green deck, but I'm not going to take it over Acolyte, pack one, pick one. Right. It just does like it's powerful when you know you're doing the thing, but it doesn't make you want to not draft aggro. It's not quite good enough to incentivize you to not draft aggro. So how do you get in to these non-aggro decks in, in this format? I think there's several ways for me. The most common is getting early Land of War Visionaries with then green being open, followed by, you know, deciding that either blue or black is the next most open color. I think Visionary at common is the number one way to end up in a non-aggressive deck just because it's so powerful and lets you get to your fives and sixes a turn earlier, which is huge against the aggro decks. I do feel like it's the most important card at common for non-aggressive decks. Yep, 100% agree. The other things are, you know, opening these powerful build arounds we talked about, like Teferi's Tutelage, Ugin, Joel Real. There's not a lot of them, but when you see them pack one, pick one, I think they're powerful enough to incentivize you to go down that route. Right. And then once, like, if you take Teferi's Tutelage, what we were saying earlier, pack one, pick one, and pack one, pick two, you've got a choice between Visionary and Bosri's Acolyte. It's Visionary, right? You, you already know then. Mm-hmm. Because Bowser's Acolyte, you, you're basically like, you take Visionary and you know the two cards you have go in the same deck. You take Acolyte, Acolyte and Teferi Pseudolid should not end up in the same deck. Right. And then the, the last is, you know, just literally getting bullied out of <laughs> an aggro deck, right? So there's there's a lot of times that your draft starts, you know, Bosri's Acolyte into Alpine Watchdog, into a Shock, into, you know, whatever, and then you get that pack one, pick five grasp of darkness and you get that pack one, pick six land of war visionary. Like it's, it's not crazy for that to happen. And I think when that happens, you should pick up on those signals. And it's it's not white and red as the aggressive cards aren't good enough when you're getting cut to try to get there on the deck. Moving on to our next point here are traps for drafting non aggro. Um, first up on this list is cards that do not play defense well slash will force you to be the aggressor slash take setup. So there's a lot of cards on this list. Most of them are blue, actually. But think about like Jeskai Elder wants to attack. Tide Skimmer wants to attack. Falconer Adept. Riddle Form. Library Larcenist. Mistral Singer. Spellgorger Weird takes setup. These cards, if you feel like you're in a more controlling version or a more defensive version of decks with these colors, these cards should not end up there. Yeah, I agree 100%. Next thing is loading up on combat tricks. I think with Feet of Resistance being the one exception here, but when you're planning on playing defense, tricks are a lot worse. I think the other card I would add to this list is I really like a one of Alchemist Gift yeah. in non-aggressive decks. Lifelink on that card or the flexibility of lifelink on that card, I think, plays an important role when you're a defensive player. Or just, you know, your opponent reanimates Waker of Waves and all of a sudden you can block and, you know, cast Alchemist Gift. It just is so versatile. Mm -hmm. I think tempo plays that leave you down a card, mostly Frost Breath. Frost Breath is an aggressive play, not a defensive play. Unsubstantiate, I think maybe we agree on as a one of I'm, I'm wary of loading up on unsubstantiates because it does leave you down a card in the end but because of the prevalence of combat tricks perhaps it being just good enough cheap interaction you can probably finagle a way to get a card's worth of value out of it right I'm, I'm pretty high on the first copy of unsubstantiate a lot lower on the second there's also furors and dubs running around it just does so much yeah, that's fair. And I think the, the last thing here is thinking that high toughness creatures are better than high powered creatures, you know, no holds bar. So Wall of Rune's a great blocker, right? So is Daybreak Charger as a 3-1, or so is Onake Ogre as a 4-2, you know, trading with some uh, somebody's drowsing Tranodon that's a 4-4, four, four, you know, Wall of Runes can't do that, right? Right. I, I was in a, an interesting situation the other day where I was playing against a deck with some goblin wizardries and I had like one of these, like maybe it was a, not Daybreak Charger, but I think Onaki Ogre that I was like, oh, I'm excited about this card. And they're like, that's just going to trade with a, like, why not play the the two, three looter in blue instead of the Onaki Ogre? I'm like, because the Onaki Ogre is definitely going to trade with like a double prowess triggered goblin token. Whereas I'm terrified to block with my two, three when they attack with their one, one goblins, you know? Right. So I think that there is a, a you can sort of flip the script a little bit in terms of thinking about high-powered creatures uh, being good blockers. I think it's often thought of as, as them being the reverse. 
Right, for sure. And now we're going to take a look at cards that play well against aggro in the format. You know, these aren't good enough to pull you into, you know, drafting a non-aggressive deck. But once you're there, these cards start to become very appealing, right? Mm -hmm. So Swift Response, first up on the list. And again, you know, you're wanting to pick that up fairly late. Uh, Seasoned Hallowblade, not only a great attacker, but again, as we're talking about, this is a great blocker too. Yeah, Brick Wall for sure. Yeah. Uh, Rambunctious Mutt, specifically out of the sideboard. I also don't hate one copy main deck in, you know, a more controlling white deck when it does come together um, but if your opponents are running some short swords and things like that rambunctious mutt can do some serious work faith's fetters as well just a, a rock solid removal spell that's going to gain you some life and bringing up the rear here valorous steed the four and a white for a three three and a two two with vigilance just the two bodies and the ability to play offense and defense with that card is oftentimes a headache for an aggro deck moving on to blue we've got a, a miser's copy of lofty denial you know i, I think obviously if you have flyers this is going to go up in value but this isn't the worst two drop, you know, this is going to pick off your opponent's two, two. If you're on the play, um, you can often find a time where this is going to get, get its man. Yeah. I, th I think specifically if you're hurting for good, early impactful plays, this, this, as much as it pains me to say it, <laughs> this is a playable card, right? Because people are trying to curve out, right? So the first like two to four turns of the game, I think Miser's Lofty Denial, and not even that Miser's, just Lofty Denial's a, a good card, right? Yeah, and I'm much more inclined to want a copy of it if I can find a way to get rid of it when it's not doing its thing, like with a Teferi's Protege or Thrill of Possibility or whatever. Yeah, uh, next up is Roaming Ghostlight, especially if your opponent has some dubs or some Furors running around. Uh, Wall of Runes. I do think this is a really good card in a control deck. This soaks up a ton of damage in the early game, and then maybe eventually it you have to chump with it. But uh, but I've been impressed with this. Yeah, I've been on a roller coaster with Wall of Runes. <laughs> I was I was down on it, and then I was super high on it, and now I'm back to just like probably happy including one or two copies in a deck that does not want to die early in the game. Uh, Wishcoin Crab again, big butt. Four mana two five probably suffers from competing with other four drops, but I do think blocks quite well. Yeah, and we've talked about enthralling hold and unsubstantiate already. Talarian Kraken, great top end, especially in a blue green deck if you've got some land war visionaries to ramp into it. But the four blue blue four six that can pay one whenever you draw a card to tap or untap target creature. Yeah, really powerful card. All right, what's going on in black? Black's got a lot of cards that play well against aggro, I think, but not a lot that incentivize you to do it, which is a weird place to be black's just so so in limbo in this format so alchemist gift we've talked about grasp of darkness we've talked about death bloom thalid two and a black for a three two and when it dies you get a one one sapperling card is a roadblock for sure trading against aggro and getting another body left around especially if you've got something like a malefic scythe to make the one one better or you know that one one thalid is also a great target for alchemist gift you know to trade with something much larger and not feel like you're down a card it just does a lot the existence of scorching Dragonfire makes deathbloom thalid worse in this format for sure yeah that's true uh, skeleton archer is awesome when this is a two for one it feels really hard to come back when you're an aggro deck yeah skeleton archer's best job is picking off siege striker Ooh, yeah siege striker daybreak charger i am i'm really high on siege striker i got to live the siege striker satessan training dream the other other day that card is powerful yep sea striker is great i agree uh carrying grubs up next this is three and a black for the x5 where x is the power of the greatest creature in your graveyard just five toughness is such a relevant threshold to hit as a blocker yes i agree completely pestilent haze let's talk about this this is the little mini sweeper at uncommon i'm not convinced about this. I think for, for similar reasons that I'm not convinced about Massacre Worm. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm not in love with it. I think if if you have trades at all, you know, if you're if you're getting one thing on turn three when you cast this, I think you fire it off. If you're getting two, great, you're thrilled. I don't think it's the answer against aggro the way some people have portrayed it to be. I think I think aggro can outscale this card quickly enough that it's it's not the truth. Yeah, uh, one of the responses I got to my my question on Twitter about people having success with black came from Limited Opa, and uh, he was talking about liking Pestle and Haze, but when you have that, when you're in that version of the, the black deck that has those cards, you put yourself on the draw and then you need to have mind rots or something to swap into post board if you're playing against not curve out decks. Okay, that makes sense. And last on this list is Blood Glutton. I have experienced this card being pretty sad news as an aggro player. Four power lifelink trading with whatever my biggest attacker is and gaining my opponent for life is big game. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to red, you know, we got the cheap removal, obviously, the shock scorching Dragonfire, the Soul Seer, 
Goblin Arsonist also can do a great job, especially if your opponent's got a lot of Daybreak Charger type things running around, can really make their life a headache defensively. And similarly, Pitchburn Devils is a great blocker. Like this is often a roadblock because your opponent has to find a way to not get two for one by it. Yeah, I think it's a better blocker than it is attacker. For uh, sure. Agreed. Yeah, I think like, you know, when you're an aggro deck, you probably want turn to slag to get something out of the way. When you're a control deck, your five drop, you would much rather have pitch burn devils, I think. Yep. Moving on to green, Drowsing Tyranidon does it all, plays offense and plays defense super well. Sick brags here, Drowsing Tyranidon is my most drafted common on arena. Ooh, nice. So let's talk about the other two drop in green, Ben. Snare Spinner. Where are you at on this card? I don't like it as a general rule. I am much more willing to play it in green, blue, and green, black. I don't think I would ever put it in my deck in green, red, or green, white. Yeah, I'm really just like not excited about this. Like obviously it's a house against the Flyers decks, but it bouncing off of two twos with the potential for them to just like cast feet of resistance and now their creature is bigger and they ate my snare spinner. I, I feel like there's just a lot of ways this card can go wrong. I agree. I don't love it. Uh, we talked about Land of War Visionary. Land of War Visionary is bold underlined and italicized in our show notes here boom baby the card does it all just slightly less than drowsing tyranidon does portcullis vine i've been on a roller coaster with this card i was pretty high on it initially liking it in blue green draw two or black green you know deaths matter stuff i'm i'm a little lower on it now i think it's fine as blanking a 2-2 for a couple turns and if your opponent has to use a trick to push through your portcullis vine great it traded for a card it's just filler if you need low end i think yeah agree fungal rebirth is up next this is two and a green to return a permanent card from your graveyard to your hand if a creature died this turn you get two one ones that card, when you stick it on a card that matters, is game-breaking against aggro. I think it was LR that was like, it's Eternal Witness that takes some work. And once that was how it was framed, I was like, oh, dang. This card is very, very good. But I do think, again, you know, you're never putting this in green-white. You're like not putting this in aggro red-green, I don't think. This is not the card you want in those decks. But this is very strong if you are in a more defensive deck. little sick brag here, Ben. Yesterday, I bought back my Sanctum of All that had been blown up by a rambunctious mutt with a fungal rebirth. Wow. What a sicko. Sicko. Truffle Snout is awesome. This is just like exactly what your controlling green decks want beyond Landward Visionary at the three drop slot as a three mana two two that can gain you four life. And Gnarled Sage is next. This is three GG for the four four with Reach and gets plus O plus two and Vigilance if you drew your second card this turn. Card's good. It blocks against flyers. It's it's fillerish in the five drop slot, but it is it is relevant as a, a four four reach. And last up on this list, Warden of the Woods, the four GG for a five seven with Vigilance, essentially has hexproof. But really, what it says is that if it becomes the target of a spell or ability your opponent controls, you can draw two cards. Card is an absolute brick wall. Yeah, really takes your opponent probably having Titanic Growth to punch through it. Maybe Sure Strike, depending on what they've got going on on their side of the battlefield. Um, and last, Colorless Palladium Mirror. I have experienced a new appreciation for this card. Three mana for the two two and taps to add two Colorless. I think this also similar to Llanowar Visionary is really important in the controlling decks to ramp you to six mana in a hurry. Palladium Mirror on turn three is very, very scary. So it's not that this like card immediately has a good impact against aggro. It's turn four <laughs> that you're going to have a great game plan against aggro. Right. So just looking at sketches of what your deck looks like as I keep saying, I keep wanting to say control and in my heart, it just, they don't feel like control decks. They feel like don't lose to aggro decks, <laughs> which I guess is sort of what control is. But it, I don't even think you need to go that big, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. That's why they don't really feel like control. Because it's not like my goal is to ramp to this big endgame card that's going to win me the game. It's more just, can I not die? And then my cards will probably outclass my aggro opponents. Right. So you, you still need to have a great curve. And I think, you know, because of this, specifically blue-green, but a lot of these non-aggro decks that don't play cards like Wall of Runes still can randomly have curve out beatdown draws. And I think, you know, blue-green does that the best, but all of the decks can do that. You know, they can go two drop into three two thalid into you know Sabretooth mauler and if your opponent stumbles you're still going to beat them down yeah exactly yeah you, that's the best part about these decks is that they have the aggro draws the more cheap removal you have the better shocks dragon fires and to a lesser extent grasps because i think if you're counting on grasps as being your your turn two your turn three plays then that means black is your base color and that seems to not be the recipe for success for black reiterate the importance here of not overvaluing the five cmc removal your secure the scenes your finishing blows your turn to slags i think there's like this this general heuristic of aggro decks want an expensive removal spell to like take out a big blocker and 
control decks want cheap removal to survive to the late game, right? I think that's a general good rule to follow, though even even the aggro decks in this format, I don't think care about the five CMC removal. Right. And I think the thing that the shocks, the dragon fires, and the grasps do is they're cheap enough that they they let you try to two for one your opponent when they go for their combat trick as the aggressor, right? Mm-hmm. They, you either pick off the early threat or they're they're good at that in the late game. And my my general assumption when I'm building my main decks of these types of decks is that I'm playing against an aggressive opponent. And certainly in best of one, if you get pushed into one of these decks, you should assume your opponent's going to be aggro and and draft that way and build that way. But even in best of three, I slant my main deck to be, I want to beat aggro in game one. And then if I'm playing a non-aggro mirror, they're rare enough that I'll just sideboard into my cards that are good in the non-aggro mirror. Yeah, so you have that flexibility. Yep. The last thing I think we want to just briefly touch on here is is to synthesize some of the information that I got from reaching out to folks about having success with black in the format, which I am not. And I don't know if I don't think your your dip with uh, black win rate is as, as large as mine, but it does. It sounds like you're you're not drafting it as much as the other colors. Yeah, I've I've drafted I've done thirty drafts on MTGO and probably I don't know ten to twenty drafts on Arena, and I've I've drafted black. 10 times on MTGO with a oh, 69, 69% win rate. Oh. So I've, I've done it a fair amount. I've trophied with it three times out of the 10. So it, it is my worst performing color, but not significantly worse. I mean, I feel like I, I have a fair, fair handle on how to draft black. Basically, I'll draft black when it's clear that other people don't want to draft black at all. And that seems to be the consensus and just some... Some takeaways here. I want to shout out the the few folks that I interacted with here. Uh, Lucas at Mr. Lufubu on Twitter. Triple B from our Discord and Limited Opa on Twitter is also a streamer on Twitch. Rares that I think get you into black. The, the three that came up a lot were Massacre Worm, Demonic Embrace, and Vito Thorn of the Dusk Rose. Some uncommons to look out for. Opa was high on Silver Smoke Ghoul and Ways to Recur It. And I have found this card oppressive to play against when my opponent has Ways to Recur It. And I think not looking at things like Revitalize, but I think really the blood glutton is is a big way to get this back that in conjunction with like the sanguine indulgence like being able Mm -hmm. to recur the blood gluttons when it trades off and you get your ghouls back like there there is a little package there triggering morbid for devotee or twin blade assassins every turn seems important uh this is my my favorite takeaway i got was from mr lufubu which is that Sanctum of Stonefangs is the best black two drop for him. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on that a little bit. I, that's not true for me. I think I'm only playing the black sanctum if I've got the blue and the red sanctum as an enabler for those two cards. Yeah, that, that makes sense. But if, him framing that made me excited about it. I had a really good experience with this card early in the format, like in the early access event, and hadn't really touched it since because I think the sanctums are a trap in best of one. So I'm excited to to dip my toe into Sanctum of Stonefangs in future drafts and, and report back. The, the other thing that's I found, Liliana's Devotee is a busted card. It's hard to have the extra two mana in the early mid game to trigger it. And to trigger it, you have to be attacking, right? So it's in that weird spot in black again, where like it's a powerful card, but it wants you to be aggressive. And black doesn't have a lot of the tools to help you be aggressive. Yeah. Uh, blue black seemed to be, as, as we put it in our power rankings, seemed to be the best home for black. Uh, reanimate isn't the main plan, though it can be a sub theme. And it, it does look like looking at a lot of trophy decks that folks shared with me, it, it just seems like it's the classic control shell, right? Removal, card draw, and good late game with, I think, a shout out to Spined Megalodon, the 5-7 hexproof for 7 mana, being like the best top end there. And the fact that that exists at common, I think, probably adds some consistency to the deck. Right. It, it's a it's a beat the aggro decks, and maybe I happen to reanimate some large monster along the way. I don't think it's all in reanimator. No, for sure. Um, and, you know, it's, green black seems to be second best, morbid as a theme, but you're not looking for like Portcullis Vine or Liliana's Steward to enable it. I think you're really looking just for, for better attrition things. And, and Visionary seems to be a big part of this deck and not a huge consensus on Red Black. So I'd be curious to hear if, if folks have some some thoughts about that or we'll be able to report back after drafting it more. Again, doesn't seem like Sacrifice is where it's at. I think it still is similar to Blue Black taking advantage of the suite of great removal you have at Common and card selection you get from Thrill or Kinetic Augur as well. So I think it's going to probably play out more like Blue Black than it's going to play out like an aggro deck. Right. So for both Red Black and Green Black, my experience has been at Red Black, certainly you need the removal to make it work. You need the Scorching Dragonfire's Grasp of Darkness. And both of those cards, I think, just want raw card quality, right? That's mm-hmm. that's when they're best, when they've got the rares and the uncommons that are just clearly a notch above the rest of the cards, and you have the cheap removal to help you get there. Like Green Black is just the rock. Like it is yes. definitely 
card quality through and through at every spot on the curve is what you're trying to have. And again, that deck, like I've personally been drafting it when I have the visionaries, that deck feels a lot better than when I don't agree. hundred percent. So that's our, our little little brief summary of, of what's going on with black in the format. And I'm, I'm going to hope now that I'm, I'm best of three to get some more reps in with the color. Yeah. And I think, you know, I would say if the format's getting stale for you and you've primarily played best of one, branch out into best of three. I have I have really been enjoying the format quite a bit. I think it rewards understanding how the games play out typically and how to value cards in the draft as a result of how you expect the games to play out. Yeah, for sure. So a lot of good information here. I think this is a great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben's at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 